Welcome to the exclusive portion of SPN Radio. It's Open Lines After Dark pre-show. It's a little intro to SPN Radio's Open Line After Dark slash MLS post-game show. So we're going to talk about all the other games in more than 10 minutes when we go live on SPN Radio. But now I want to talk about the Montreal Impact game today versus... Uh, well, versus Colorado, Estad Saputo. It was the second game of Estad Saputo this year. Second in eight days. Third for Montreal, actually, because they played Wednesday in New York as well. Didier Drogba, third straight 90 minutes of uh, play for the Montreal Impact <clears throat> at home and on the road. So for Didier, he scored a great free kick goal at the ninth minute off a uh, Nacho Piatti uh, foul. He was fouled maybe 25 off, just maybe... Uh, Around nine yards before the box, on the left side of the box, and Didier Drogba hit that free kick right in the net. Uh, Zach McMath could do nothing about it. There was no way he was going to stop that uh, free kick goal, and it was one nothing Montreal. Eventually, a few minutes later, in a panic type of move for Montreal, Maxime Tiso tries to clear the ball in the box. It hits the leg of Gershon. Gershon then hits it top net just just away from Evan Bush's grasp, and it's 1-1 at Stade Saputo. It was a beautiful day at Stade Saputo. Sold-out game for the Montreal Impact, the second sold-out in a row in Stade Saputo. So, yeah, we're we'll talking about the attendance, and uh, we'll talk about attendance later on this show as well, outside of uh, Montreal. We'll talk about Chicago and Seattle and everything. But we're going to look talk about the attendance at the Olympic Stadium. In the first two games at home, the Montreal Impact uh, season this year at the Stade Olympic, we said, oh, there's only like 20-something, and there's like, not like there's not like 50 like last year. Well, you know, it's still bigger than Saputo, and guess what? The first two games inside Saputo this year are either sold out or very close. We're talking about maybe hands full of tickets today, but I'm pretty sure it was sold out. It was a 1,000 tickets left as of yesterday, well, as of uh, Friday for the match. So, Didier Drogba scored a goal. It was 1-1 with Gershon equalizer. Eventually, Maxime Tissot which Maxime Tissot has been playing with a guy with a chip on his shoulder this year since he's having the opportunity. And I think it's quite a change for Maxime Tissot, and it's a quite a welcome change for Maxime Tissot. Uh, if you're, Maxime Tissot is a great guy. First of all, very nice, very polite, very well-spoken, very intelligent, very well-behaved, very well-whatever. Uh, but Maxime Tissot, when he's on the pitch, he was maybe too nice. And that's the one thing that he really is working on. He, he's leaving... Everything he has on the pitch. The last two games he played. So last game when he came in for an injured Kamara and replaced him at 20th minute. And the 90 minutes today, he's taking his opportunity and he's running with it. He's taking his opportunity and he's making the coach leave him on the field. Now there's injuries in the back line. We're talking about Kamara and Danny Toya as we speak. Kamara's iffy, iffy. But the Montreal Impact right now have a potential of losing Laurent further down the road. I still evaluate uh, Laurent chance of making the Belgium national team squad as around 40%. Yes, you'll say it's a number you just took out of your ass, Kevin, and you'll be 100% correct. I just took that number out of my ass. But for the Montreal Impact, if they lose Laurent for two months this summer, two months might be exaggerated. But let's just say a like six to seven weeks, if they lose Laurent Simard for that period of time and the injury to Asun Kumara, which is a hamstring injury for four to six weeks, Donny Toya is probably like uh, close to day-to-day or if not uh, re-evaluating the game-to-game. 
So the the play of Maxime Tissot now, always a left back for now. You know, it, it's good for him to uh, to have a position too, because he was moved around midfield defender, midfield defender in the last couple of years, not focusing and not necessarily getting the playing time. And this year has been focused at left back, and we've seen the transition. We've seen. What he has developed playing in the midfield, those instinct of going forward are useful at the fullback position when you do have to use your speed and your offensive savviness to when you do have the opportunity to go in and get that shot. Well, guess what? He had the opportunity. He went in 30 yards out, 30 yards out and hit that shot right into the far right corner. His right, the left is like math. And the way he hit that very low shot, it was on the ground all the way through, but very powerful. Like he hated that ball. Like that ball made fun of him for the last four years. What? You know what, damn ball? Let me kick you as hard as I can, as straight as I can, as powerful as I can. And you see that ball going. And the way it looks when he hits it the first time, it looks like it's way right. Then slowly it just, and at the end it curls back in. Nothing Zach Math could do, and it's 2-1 for the Montreal Impact. And in the words of uh, the coach of uh, Colorado Rapids, Mastroianni himself, greatest mustache in MLS, by the way, Paolo, but in his own words, two world-class goal. World-class. Drogba's free kick and Maxim Tissot's shot. Boy from Quebec. Canadian boy. Four Canadians starting for the Montreal Impact today. Becker Bernier, the defensive midfield Canadian as a duo. Right, that could have potential. We'll see. Maybe for the fall. We'll see. But, you know, two Canadians starting in the midfield together. Then you had in the defense, Morgan Lefebvre, naturalized Canadian, now member of the national team since last year, and Maxime Tissot. So you know what? Morbiello, good on you. It did happen a couple of times in the history of the club. I think last year it happened once too, where they had a four-player start uh, for the Montreal Impact. They were Canadian too. But it's always fun to see players achieve their potential for the Montreal Impact, and especially for players like Wandril Lefebvre and Maxime Tissot. And I wouldn't include players that have left the club like Wandril, uh, like, like Calvumet, W, because those players are in the same situation where when they were at the same level as the kids are with the academy now with USM, with the FC Montreal, second club of the Montreal Impact, when they were there, we're talking about Tissot, talking about Lefebvre, and we met, and even Mesudzi, but Mesudzi had his chance later on with FC Montreal, he's now in uh, Odd in Norway, but playing with Olivier Seyan and played uh, what at about uh, five minutes last week, came in just before the injury time, played a little, had a couple touches. Oh, but going back to that generation for the Montreal Impact that are part of the club now, the JGL, but JGL, JGL, and uh, JGLs with the club, Benagayets more with FC Montreal. But those two players on the cusp, they, they actually have been benefited by the presence of the USL FC Montreal team last year. But if you're looking at Tissot again, Lefebvre, and we met those three players, one of the earliest three that were signed as academy product by the Montreal Impact since their uh, MLS journey. Those three didn't have the USL as a top tier of the Montreal Impact Academy system 
to develop and get playing time at a higher level, to play against men, against Charleston, Rochester, Richmond, against teams that are established and strong and dangerous and powerful and that can actually make you understand what you need to do to succeed with your own skill set, with your own body, with your own skills as a player on the pitch. Those are the type of games that help you grow. And when we're looking at players with the FC Montreal now, the, the Zachary Secundas, even though he's injured right now, we're talking about uh, Alessandro Rigi, we're talking about uh, Jafar, other players, those players are benefiting from that top-tier academy that the players with the Montreal Impact are now didn't have, and they had to claw and fight for playing time to develop. It's good to play in the reserve league back then or to get a couple of minutes here and there, but basically just practice and do scrimmage, and those are your playing minutes. It's okay to get developed there, but you don't have that same growth, that accelerated growth line when you have a USLFC Montreal team. But going back to those three, uh, two that are still left with the club now and others that have joined as Canadian. Becker wasn't developed by Montreal, but he's Canadian. Bernie is the same as well. But look at Tissot and Lefebvre now. They had to work hard. They had to work for every minute and they had to work for opportunity and they had to sometimes uh, step back. They had a chance example. Tissot, it happened a couple of times last year with Klopas. I wouldn't say the relationship was the best because... Well, maybe uh, Tissot wasn't feeling that he had a fair shot of always getting the playing time that he thought that he deserved, considering what he brought when he was put on last year on the pitch for the Montreal Impact while Frank Lopez was the coach. But this year, uh, he probably used and channeled that energy from last year and that chip on his shoulder I was talking about later earlier this show that he's playing a little bit more angry, a little bit more leave it all on the pitch. And that's what you have to be feeling with, especially once you have an opportunity. And since he had that opportunity... Usually it comes off somebody's injury or a squad rotation. In this case, it was when Asun Kamara got injured and Tiso was already close to going back into his squad rotation starting 11. He was in the plans. He was practicing well enough. But the performances that he did on the pitch on that day when Kamara went out and today as well really cemented his position in starting 11 for now. Leaving everything on the pitch, nothing left in your tank and that's how you have to treat it. That you have to, you have to fight for it to... Not prove to yourself you know you belong there, but to prove to everybody else that ever doubted you. I am here. I'm here to stay. And I got a chip on my shoulder. And I'm not going to be the nice guy on the field anymore. And I'm going to play hard for my every square inch of space on that grass. And you know what? You're not going to get that grass. You're not going to get that space on me. You're not going to make me look bad. This is my time. And I'm taking it. And that's the type of attitude that we've seen from Maxim D. So at least on the pitch over the last couple of games, and that's what we want, and it's been effective. If you're looking at Maxim Tissot's contribution to the team in the last few games, yes, he wasn't on the score sheet the last game against New York. He was today with a goal. But his presence, his contribution, and especially his future contribution to the flanks of the Montreal Impact are maybe one of the keys to finally unblock that, I don't want to call it a goal drought, they scored two goals today, they scored a goal against New York, but to get the ease of scoring that they had in the first two games of this season with the two, three goals scored in those two games against Vancouver. And I can't remember anymore. It's been too long. Uh, but last year, they had an ease of play of score, too, when Dragwa was on point in form. The same with Piatti. Now they have to find that back. And one of the keys for that is for Tiso to be able to be effective. When he's moving forward as a fullback, then we'll get some pressure a little bit and get some 
space, especially like if Piatti and Ship are positioned like today, which Piatti more on the left side of thing and Piat and the Ship as a ten as the central attacking midfielder. Yes, they overlap and they change and they move around. But today they were positioned a little bit more Piatti to the left on the actual left side of thing and Ship as a ten. And you saw the difference where if well you you will see the difference. If Tiso continues his great play, goes forward with that ball, creates some space for Piatti. Because the defender on Piatti has to respect Tiso's ability with the ball and play accordingly, so on and so forth. So Maxim Tiso's play might be the keys to finally unlock and break defensive well, defense of the other teams. Alright. Let's just go live on SPN Radio. You are listening to SPN the Sports. Podcasting Network. You are listening to the MLS Post Game Show, live on SPN Radio, powered by the Sports Podcasting Network. Wondolowski settles, drives, he scores! Wando does it again, 1-1. Laid off left side, and the blast is in far side, and it's 1-0, and the shutout streak of the Red Bulls is over, and so is the streak of games without a goal for Marco Ceballos. Good night, everyone, and welcome to the MLS Post Game Show Slash. Open lines after dark. I am Kevin Laraman. Welcome to SBN Radio. Call us right now, 929-477-3874. Give us your thoughts on the games of today in Major League Soccer. We'll go through them quickly. We'll dwell a little bit on the Montreal Impact game. And if you're just joining us on the air, I've been talking for 10 minutes on a very special bonus edition of SPN Radio that will be available on the Sports Podcasting Network as an exclusivity. So if you want to hear me ramble for 10 minutes about the Montreal Impact game today, well, go to sportspodcastingnetwork.com and get this very show, but on the podcast version. How was your footy Saturday in Major League Soccer? Uh, did your team get the result that you wanted? Did you finally get that W, that goal, that result, that so worthy result? Who knows? Let's start by a, a game that was very entertaining. I'm not going to lie. Uh, it's been two games that I've watched closely this week at Yankee Stadium. And, you know, Yankee Stadium, we've labored a lot. and We talk about the small pitch and how crazy it is. But one thing i got to say, yeah, yeah, it does take away from the game. But it makes for a very quick pace, entertaining, bouncing type of game that is quite, quite fun to watch. And this 3-2 victories for New York City FC, finally, they get that win. Finally, Patrick Vieira can celebrate a win in Major League Soccer. And right this time, 3-2 against Vancouver, a team that got a great result against Dallas last week. They got a result against Wednesday, a draw, a 1-1 draw. They got a win against Dallas the week prior, 3 nothing. 
But now it's going back to losing. And yeah, they scored twice. And yeah, they're on the run of play. Not even a minute in. A uh, big blunder by New York City. His goalkeeper, Josh Saunders, saw him lose the ball and get picked up by uh, who else? And Octavio Rivero and scores his first of the year for the Vancouver Whitecaps, which, well, at least puts them in a situation that now, yeah, they're maybe not bottom dwellers anymore. They, they, they got results. They got a couple of points over the last few weeks. But if you're looking at the optics of it, if you're looking at Vancouver as a team, Vancouver as a project going forward, just some questions that need to be answered, especially on the offensive side of the ball with player like Octavio Rivero. Yeah, he scored today, but Octavio Rivero did not necessarily or not at all achieve expectations today. And that is the one thing that's interesting to me if you're looking at a team like Vancouver. Yeah, Bolaño scored again today and Octavio Rivero, but when we're looking at a designated player, you're looking for the type of impact that David Villa has, that a Didier Drogba has, that a Jovenko has. And I know Rivero is not the same type of caliber, caliber, not the same type of DP as a David Villa, as a Didier Drogba, and as a Jovenko. But you need more. This game right now, Rivero scored the first goal in the first minute. 35th minute, David Villa scored his goal, assisted by Kyrie Shelton. Very speedy Kyrie Shelton. Probably the second fastest player in Major League Soccer outside of Dominic Aduro. 41st minute, David Villa assisted by Andrea Pirlo. Pirlo with an assist. Decisive pass by the pro man. And you know, it's been quite a rough season for Andrea Pirlo. And I'm sure he was delighted to see Villa score that second goal to take the league at home in the 31st minute. Maybe they thought they had the win then. And then Bolaño, at the 63rd minute, decided to bring everybody back to the beginning with the equalizer at the 63rd minute. Then uh, New York City FC has probably shades of last Wednesday by seeing a team tying it at the Yankee Stadium. But they got that game winner 10 minutes later. Steven Mendoza assisted by Tommy McNamara, McNamara and the Ronald Materita. You know, McNamara has been one of my favorite players lately. I like not only his uh, type of hairstyle and what he's wearing in his hair. It looks very similar to my player in FIFA, but that has nothing to do with it. What I really like about Tommy McNamara is he, he's able to take advantage of every situation he has and he wants, and he, he's trying to make the most out of it. He's trying to either feed Vila, either get that feed from Pirlo, and he's trying to make the most of it. Again, uh, MIA, again, uh, Stephen Lampard. Ah, Stephen, Stephen Lampard. That's quite a lapsus. Frankie Lampard? Stephen Gerrard in L.A. He is there, and he's actually playing pretty decently now. But yeah, Frankie Lampard's so MIA. So for New York City FC, they got that W. For Vancouver they got another loss and they got one point this week. So it's not necessarily positive. So we're going to move on to another game. But again, I remind you, you want to give us a call. Talk about your favorite game today in Major League Soccer for April 30th. It's the MLS postgame show. I am Kevin Laramay and you're listening to SPN Radio. Give us a call right now. 929-477-3874. Lines are open. No subjects are off you can talk whatever you like it could be about the Formula 1 Grand Prix Russia, Sochi tomorrow morning it could be about Leicester City versus Manchester United, it could be against uh, about a great game Philly and San Jose today in Philly, in Chester 
Seattle-Columbus was a game today, too. You know, you can call about that. Give us a call and talk about your favorite moment of the day in the world of sports. It is Open Lines After Dark. And we'll be right back with some talk about Montreal Impact game today. Kyrie Shelton drives it across, played back for Allen, and there it is. What a beautiful goal all the way from the defensive third, and R.J. Allen. Come on, needs somebody to drop it off, right? What's he going to do there? He drops it off because there's a player. Not one, but two. Look at Dia, just in case he's involved. So, perfect build-up. One-touch football, movement with and without the ball, and this is beautiful on a small pitch. And now Petrescu the whistle, Drogba steps into it. Driving it in, and there's the goal! Dominic Oduro cuts inside, and just like that, it's 1-1. Watch Oduro there on the near post. Two players free. Uh, everybody's ball watching right there. Two players could have put that away. And look at this, I mean, why? I'm not sure who's marking. You know, sometimes you want to have a player on that post to intercept it, but... And we are back on the MLS Post Game Show live on SPN Radio. And you know, one thing that's really interesting with the Montreal Impact draw today at home, at Satsuputo, it's 2-2, yeah, it feels like a loss. It would have been a great victory for Montreal. They're still winless at Satsuputo in 2016 uh, after two games. They are undefeated at the Stade Olympique, but uh, winless at Satsuputo. So far in 2016. And what we're talking about today, yeah, the, 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 the DJ Drogba goal at the ninth minute, that free kick that will probably be named the goal of the week if it's not Tiso's, one of those two world-class goals in the name of Pablo uh, Mastroianni was talking about how those two goals were world-class. Uh, but what took my attention and took the cake is Laurent saying we shouldn't have allowed those two goals. Those two goals we could have... We could have stopped them. They're, they're like off errors or off a free kick, a set piece. And those are the reason, again, the set pieces defensively is the bane of the existence of the Montreal Impact and not just in Major League Soccer people. But this goes back and way back to the NASL and USL days. The set pieces, I don't want to say weakness, or, but it is the bane of their existence. It is the pain in the ass of their own posterior of the Montreal Impact right now. It is set pieces. Five goals conceded in 2015-2016 offset pieces so far in week seven. It's kind, of, it's kind of a lot too much. And yeah, they scored one, one off free kick today. It happened a couple of weeks ago, too, off a header off a free kick. Well, Dominic Adoro Wednesday. But yeah, you cannot concede goals on free kick at this rate for a team that wants to have aspirations to win the East. I'm not going to lie, Montreal's still first in the East with 14 points as we speak. And Montreal Impact have aspirations and ambitions. But to achieve those ambitions and aspirations, you need to not concede on free kick. Just quickly for the Montreal Impact, Didi Drogba played another 90 minutes for the Montreal Impact. That is three straight 90 minutes for the Impact. Amaro Biello was very... Conservative with this substitution today made the uh, two substitution only today. Uh, Marco Donadel was in for Cal Becker and Lucas Antivero was in for Patrice Bernier at the 63rd and 80th minutes. And for Colorado, only one substitution, Dylan Powers, their number one draft pick of three years ago. And uh, now Dylan Powers got into the 90 minute 
and uh, well, an extra time just to, to waste time, but very intriguing substitutions. You would have think that uh, the, the squad would have been rotated maybe more. Well, there was one substitution not used, but the reason is maybe he was satisfied with the team that he had on the pitch and did not think that he could bring anything different with a change in this instance. So that could be interesting. I'm still wondering, after three games in eight days, we've seen a certain squad rotation for Montreal. If we're looking at today, we had a Bernier, a Becker starting. We had a uh, Oyongo Lefebvre, Simon Tissot in the defense because of Donny Toya's Asun Kamara and Victor Cabrera's. Victor Cabrera's fine. Uh, nothing to be announced, but uh, he might have a little knock here and there. I don't know if he has concussion symptoms. I I heard that he didn't, that he was fine. So we'll see. But you had Wandre Lafayette, Oyongo, Larasima, and Tiso because of uh, Tiso and Kamara's injury. Oh, Tiso there. Toyo is injured. And for a soon Kamara, four to six weeks, Iskio Jambier. Uh, so hamstrings problem. We'll see what comes out of it, maybe it comes in sooner, but it's a tough luck for us from Kamara, who where his 2015 season was plagued by injury, and now his 2016 season was five games in a row. He was playing great. Now with this injury, that's probably going to make him miss a month and a half and a lot of games in close to summertime when he comes back. We'll see if he's back in time to the end of the Voyager's Cup, if the Montreal Impact make it there. Now, for, for this game of Montreal versus Colorado, you know, it is opportunity missed, but it is still one point. But the fact that they lost to Toronto at home, uh, a draw this time and a draw in New York, so two points in the possibility of mine. It's actually very disappointing in a way where, yeah, you're still first, first in the East. You're still in control of your destiny, and you're in control of where you land, and it's still very early in the season. But those opportunities, those points left on the pitch, like today, you hope that they don't come bite you in the ass. You hope that if La Racima, which I would say it's probably 40% chance that he makes the Belgian national team as we speak. Yes, it is a number I just pulled out of my ass, but we'll see if it's anything close to reality in a few months. Uh, but if La Racima makes the Belgian national team for the Euro this summer, talking about maybe two months without La Racima, a month, well, a month, almost for the tournament and the pre-training camp before that. So if he makes that roster, you're talking about a defense that's going to have a lot of injured with Kamara. Toya maybe be that guy then, for sure. Uh, but we're talking about La Racima gone. So you're losing the soul of your defense in La Racima and the general. So if those points are left on the pitch earlier on, and then you have a very difficult month and a half without one of your best players and the best defender in 2015 in Major League Soccer, leaves you wide open for a couple of bad results, and those points on the table will be what you rue when you finish playing a game. So hopefully, we can get back to the winning ways for Montreal Impact. It's been a while now. It's been more than three games ago that the Montreal Impact got a victories. We need to go back to the... Uh, was it draw there too? So it's been a long time. So next game is the crew in Columbus. Dominic Ajero will be well-rested, being only used as a substitute Wednesday and not today. You can expect maybe Ajero to start against Columbus as a striker. 
or Drogba continues his great run of form in the playing time fashion, and Adjero gets a, a start on the left side. But uh, yeah, exactly. Adjero today was actually playing today, played 90 minutes uh, as a right midfielder, what I was talking about as a attacker. You know, if he starts as an attacker, it means Drogba's on the bench, and you can use uh, an Antivero or a Vinegas that both are struggling to find their playing time and their rhythm. But it's going to get there. It's still an adaptation period for Lucas Antivero with the fact that he wasn't up to par in his fitness at the beginning of the season due to off-season injuries and lack of training, and the fact that he had to travel and move and... Uh, arrived to this city here. So that's going to be different. All right. Moving on to the Montreal Impact game. We'll just mention the score we we're talking about earlier. Philly San Jose 1-1. I uh, remember you can give us a call right now. 929-477-3874. It's MLS post game show slash the open lines after dark. No subject are taboo here on SBN radio. You can talk about whatever floats your boat in the world of sports. And if social media is your thing, well, it is mine. At SportsPodNet is the network's Twitter. My own very personal Twitter account is at Kev Laramie. And that's at K-E-V-L-A-R-A-M-E-E. Give me a follow to make sure you never miss a show. And give us SportsPodNet a follow to make sure that you're up to Speed with every show we do here on SBN Radio on Gasoline Network as well. Now, we're talking about Philly and San Jose. San Jose got a point on the road in Philly, 1-1. The surprising and surging and continuing to be close to the top of the East, the Philadelphia Union. Uh, the one positive thing, just to go back to the Montreal, is their direct opponent in the top of the Eastern Conference right now is Philly and Toronto. Toronto's playing tomorrow. So, for now, Toronto is at 11 points with seven games played. They got one game in hand on the Montreal Impact and one game in two for now, but with the games played, there'll be one. And they have the same amount of game played as Philly as of tomorrow. If Toronto wins tomorrow, they're going to 14 points in front of Philly in second position. Uh, actually, they're going tied with the Montreal. Actually, Toronto wins their first in the East because they'll have one game in hand in Montreal. So, Tomorrow, it's going to be important to, to see the result of the Toronto game. Because if they get that win tomorrow, it's Toronto first in the East and Montreal second due to Montreal having one game played. They're playing the defending champion tomorrow, Portland. In Portland, it's the return of Will Johnson to Portland. And it's going to be very intriguing to see the reception that he gets in Portland and to see that uh, if he gets up for that game in a way that usually you see Will Johnson always get up for games, but uh, against Portland, his former team, that he has a little chip on his shoulder because he mentioned this week that sometimes he felt like a two-time MLS Cup champion. Sometimes he barely feels like he was involved in Portland's win last year. And I think he still has a chip on his shoulder, feels bad about this situation, and he's going to take it out on the pitch tomorrow. That's a possibility. We'll see that tomorrow. But 3.30 p.m. Eastern, 12.30 Pacific tomorrow in Portland. Toronto FC will try to go for the top of the East. Sporting Kansas City versus LA Galaxy tomorrow night, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific in Sporting Kansas City. You know, Sporting Kansas City can go back on the winning ways, but Galaxy can 
maybe do a statement type of performance if they go on the road and beat my favorite for to win the Western Conference, Kansas City. If the Galaxy does that, it's going to put all the questions that we had about Gerard and Bruce Arena, maybe lost his ways. It's going to trump all those questions that the Galaxy are able to pull off a great performance tomorrow night against Sporting Kansas City. Kansas City are in a losing skid as we speak. They lost midweek. Actually, draw me week one one. They lost three in a row before that result, and it was uh, they were one they were, uh, against Vancouver down to ten men. And before that one one draw, Kansas City lost three games in a row. So we're talking about Kansas City versus Galaxy tomorrow for one team that's hot that just beat Dallas five two the weeks prior. Dallas on a bad skit. They're just losing games left and right right now with a lot of goals. And Kansas City has a chance to stop that. Losing his kid by beating a Galaxy. That's a team that's pretty hot in the league as we speak. So tomorrow night, those are the games we're going to keep an eye on. We mentioned the 1-1 draw between Philly and San Jose. Let's repeat the score again. Montreal 2, Colorado 2, NYCFC 3, Vancouver 2. You know, me and Dwayne were talking on the Two Solid Two Soccer podcast this week. And NYCFC, NYCFC. It's quite a mouthful. It quite doesn't roll off the tongue pretty good. So, so we're looking for nicknames for the NYCFC. The citizen, the cities, the city boys. The, I don't know. Give us a, a hand. Give us a call as well. 929-477-3874 to make sure that we find a nickname for New York City because, well, yeah, they're doesn't roll off the tongue. I don't want to say New York. I don't want to say NY. I don't want to say city. And I want to say the blues because those are all existing nicknames out there for other teams. But for NYCFC. So the other New York team, 3-2 for Vanguard against Vancouver. Seattle, Columbus in Seattle. Siki Schmidt and his boys are back in the winning side of things with a victory that probably feels like a relief. For this, what has a lot of questioning with the departure of Obama Martins and the lack of results and lack of goals and lack of confidence in the way the team was playing this year so far. And the big outcry was starting to happen in the stands and in the media and in where our forums talking about Siggy Schmidt. Is he still the guy for the job? Is he, he, well, he hasn't won anything since a long time and not, hasn't won the MLS Cup yet. So, you know, you have that vibe. That maybe this time is the last go around for Siggy, and he kind of had that situation. Does this victory change everything? No, it doesn't. Siggy's still in the hot seat, I believe. But at least beating a team like the Crew, which are really reeling this beginning of 2016 season, bottom dwellers in the East, only one win, looking for goals. They've been shut out of many times. Iguain not clicking. No, there's something missing in this team right now. I don't know if it's because of the damn shorts, but I, I think there's something that they're missing. They're, they're missing maybe a confidence. They're missing a player to finish off that pass, to open up maybe space for Higuain, or maybe Higuain is missing fitness or confidence. There's something off in Columbus. There, there really is something going on in Columbus. So keep an eye what's going on on the other side of the, that border for Columbus because, well, they're really struggling to do anything in 2016. And the way they're looking, they're, they're lucky 
that there's teams like the Red Bulls and NYCFC in Chicago that are bad as well because Columbus is not doing good in 2016. Speaking of bad teams, we had the battle of the bads, Chicago, D.C. United. <laughs> well, you guessed it, a 1-1 draw between those two. And it's not necessarily surprising when you talk about a team like Chicago and D.C. that are under expectation as we speak. You know, they're not necessarily going to achieve big change of things by just doing the same thing all over again all the time. They're two teams, they're two franchises that, yeah, can have one season of success here and there that it's unexpected or win the freaking U.S. Open Cup while being last in MLS and go on a CCL run. We've seen that happen in D.C. But it seems like the culture, it seems like the imprint, it seems like the teams itself are need a second wind in their own market, in their own stadium, in their own city. Seems like they need a new kickstart. They need a new jumpstart. They need something to restart them because right now, it seems like they're struggling for attention. They're struggling for market-piercing news, the market-piercing stars, and that's what feels like it's missing right now in Chicago, in D.C. Yeah, there's the rumors and rumbling of the new D.C. stadium, in the near future. But we've been talking about this for, we're going to say two years since this time, but it's been like 10 with all the announcements and the lack of construction that followed those announcements over the, what, the three iterations of the plan and future potential DC stadium. Is this time around the right one? Will this time around, will DC get that stadium built? Seems likely. Still seems a stretch. And when you're looking at the, the crowds at RFK, and I know you can't compare. I know sometimes the crowds are decent, but it just looks so lost in that vast stadium that is just old and decrepit and with a very bad surface and very bad grass and known to be very bad RFK stadium. But when you're looking at the Chicago Fire at Toyota Park and you're looking at Peter Wilt's effort with the Chicago NASL to bring a team that would play probably at Soldier Field or somewhere downtown or close to it to be Chicago's team. The fact that Toyota Park is outside of urban Chicago, it's more in suburbia of Chicago. So this give a different aspect. It gives a fan of Chicago that lives downtown, lives on the Magnificent Mile, and that would just maybe want to experience a game close to it, but now it's going to be different. They have to go outside. It's quite, what, 25, 30 minutes ride to get to Toyota Park outside of Chicago. So it gets that downtown feeling out of it. And when it's a big market like Chicago, we've seen that even if it's a stadium is not made for it, look at the crowds of Yankee Stadium. and Look at the crowds of stadium close to downtown area. Statsbudo is would be considered not downtown, but close enough. And it's still far enough that people are complaining, though, it's in the east. Maybe that's the reason we couldn't fill it up a couple times last year, you know? That's a very good question. But, man, you know, I'm going to think that, you know, it's been quite a very hard journey for the Montreal Impact in... Ah, oh, Montreal Impact. What am I saying? I was talking about Chicago Fire. Yeah, that's why it's open lines after dark, because we're waiting for your calls. But Chicago Fire, when they're far from their fans, far from the crowd, far from Chicago. I think that's the reason why they seem to be reeling as we speak as a franchise. And if they can get, I don't even know if there's plan, but if there's a the Chicago NASL team that comes up in the city and is actually successful for Chicago, 
Well, Chicago Fire might be in trouble. I truly believe that it's going to be very hard for the Chicago Fire to fill Toyota Park again. Yeah, but, uh, you know, the Montreal Impact is kind of in a good position for the future because the crowd was full today. But, yeah, that's good. But you're talking about crowds, talking about stadium, even Seattle. We've talked about Seattle, how it was like at 66 many, many times. We're not hearing those type of crowds anymore. There's one thing that happened in Seattle, I think, one year ago uh, that was announced and it was talked about, but not to the extent that I think that it should be. So you're looking at the Seattle Sounders, the partnership that he had with the head office of the Seattle Seahawks, but more importantly, with the marketing and sales department of the Seattle Seahawks, uh, ended and changed uh, last year. Now the Seattle Sounders are responsible and are selling their own tickets, and they don't have that piggyback factor that they had before with the Seattle Sounders. So that could be an explanation why the stadium is not at full capacity a couple times a year like we've seen in years prior to 2015. The reason for that could be that the Seattle Seahawks partnership with the Seattle Sounders have gone and passed. That could be interesting. So just to finish our thoughts, we talked about the stadiums in Chicago and in D.C. and all that. There's a place where they're building that stadium and it's being built and they will play. Yeah. Maybe further down the road next year than they would have loved to, but Orlando is getting that city or yeah. Orlando city is getting the stadium, <laughs> new England to Orlando two. That's another game that happened this Saturday today. It was at seven 30 tonight and two, two for those two scoring tonight, Kevin Molino, very interesting player for Orlando. One of the players that made the trek from USL to Major League Soccer for Orlando, Kevin Molino. First goal of the game was for the Revs. Uh, seventh minute, Diego Fagundes, Molino the equalizer at 30th minute. 71st minute, Agudelo with a, uh, the two youngsters that are the two stars of the New England Revolution. I've scored in this game to get them a draw. Carlos Rivas and scored. The second goal for Orlando. You're asking, oh, did Kaka play? Did Kaka play? No Kaka. No Kaka today, once again. And I think it's going to be very, very, maybe a few weeks even, before we see a Kaka in great shape and starting for Orlando. All right, we'll wrap up our... MLS post-game version of this show as we speak. Once again, you can give us a call right now on the air at 929-477-3874. Fourth that you want to happen today, yesterday, two days ago. Any sports and anything that interests you in the world of sports is fair game. There's no batteries here on Open Lines After Dark. So let's take a very quick break and come back and actually start Open Lines After Dark. Yeah, Open Lines After Dark, where there's no boundaries whatsoever.
talked about Major League Soccer. We talked about teams, but I just forgot to mention that we also played in Houston 2-1. But, you know, I love other and on open lines after dark, there's no boundaries. You know, I'm going to wake up very early tomorrow. In about like seven hours, not even six hours, I'm up. Tomorrow is uh, potentially a great, great day in the world of sports. Yeah, about soccer again, but this time in the English Premier League. We're talking about a team that, look, tomorrow could be history. Leicester City can win the league tomorrow. Leicester City can win the league for the first time. In a season that's basically a fluke, a weird type of season that started just with a couple of great results for Leicester. And they were on top. And you know, in the Premier League sometimes, depending on how the calendar is done, who's playing who, when, and when. You know, if it's a couple of minnows fighting each other and there's like one minnow that beats another minnow four times in a row or four victories against lesser teams, no disrespect intended, in the Premier League in the first couple of weeks, depending on the schedule of the calendar, well, you can have a fluke Leicester to be on top of the standings, and it happens. But the weeks just kept on coming, and the results just kept on coming. And when they started to beat not just minnows and mid-table teams, but started to get results against big teams, starting to get, like, Prizing performances by Vardy, which in, in himself, Jamie Vardy is a great story in himself, and Leicester itself is a great story. The two combined are just worth of a movie, which will happen. There will be books, movies, documentaries, essays, thesis, name it, they'll be produced. Podcasts, there'll be special shows, with probably one on SBN Radio on Leicester City if they can achieve, which could be probably one of the best ever story in the Premier League, one of the best way to achieve victory in the Premier League, yeah. So if you're looking at Leicester City, 9 a.m. at Old Trafford tomorrow against Manchester United, granted Manchester United is not the team that it used to be. It's not Sir Alex Ferguson at the helm anymore. We're looking at, yeah, it's Levan Galas is probably going to be fired at the end of this season. And you're talking about a Manchester United that's been lackluster and it's not going to be in the Premier League next year and it's going to be difficult for them and it's all about the Europa, you know. <laughs> Actually, the FA Cup, I mean. They're out of the Europa. Manchester United... If they win a game tomorrow, they'll be hated because they're taking away the story that could be awesome. But if Leicester goes to Old Trafford, and what a setting for this type of game. First of all, tomorrow's game is the biggest game in the history of Leicester City. The biggest game in the history of the Foxes. That's hands down the biggest game in the history of the Foxes. Tomorrow, 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 Pacific, you're looking at Leicester City having a chance to win the league. And yeah, it is quite improbable, but all over along, all across the season, 
when we thought that they would drop points, when we thought that, yeah, they're not going to make it, eventually Arsenal and Man United and whatever team is going to come back is going to take over, and they're going to take over the spots. But once Tottenham couldn't bridge that gap, and once Tottenham slipped a couple times over the last few weeks with draws and, well, just draws at bad timing, you really saw the belief and the way that Claudio Ranieri was talking change and the accept he basically accepted that look they're in the Premier League and look they're gonna probably gonna win the league. And it, they accepted it and they embraced it and they played with that passion, that proud you know, that, that proud feeling that you get when you're going up and beyond the expectations. When you're taking the, like like nobody expected. Some people dreamed about it. Some people wished it. Some people put money on it. But nobody believed. Nobody thought that Leicester City was going to win the Premier League. If you go back to last August, last September. Nobody. Months came and went. They stayed on top. They got those results. And they got to the point where tomorrow, 9 a.m., they can become, on TSN, by the way, if you're wondering where, TSN and RDS are in French, but tomorrow, 9 a.m., you can become one of the best stories, and a good story for the right reason, not because of doping, not because of murders, not because of blackmails, and people getting on hacked their Twitter account and putting bongs with face mask and gas mask and uh, Instagram controversies. That's one of the things that I'm sick of, tired of talking about as a sports reporter is all the negativity that happens sometimes. And murder here, this, that, and Dolph Ziggler's brother for murder. We're talking about a guy dying here. We're talking about somebody getting arrested. This, this NCAA player received money. This guy, this... You know, I'm sick and tired sometimes of Talking about negative stuff. And when a story like Leicester City comes into play, it reminds me, and it probably reminds you, the listener, too, why you love sports. Why you sacrifice so many times and so many hours in front of your television, phone, internet, mobile device, laptop, tablet, whatever. The amount of time that you're reading off websites, checking your fantasy, looking on your damn Twitter feed that's Three quarters built with soccer guys. You know you're like this too. So when we have a story of Leicester City that has a chance to not end, but at least the Cinderella story could be etched in stone tomorrow with that victory. If they do it, Vardy will be available. Mares will be there. Mares, PFA Player of the Year as well in England. But if they do it, it's so positive. It's, this is why we love sports. An underdog of underdogs. You know? A mid-table between 13th to 10th, usually, in the Premier League. It just got promoted a few years ago. And they just go on and win the whole damn thing. In front of Chelsea, which are having probably one of the worst years of their history. In front of teams like Manchester City, which are... Rich and on semifinals of the Champions League. Against teams like Tottenham, which finally found new stars. Harry Kane is playing well, one of the best players in the Premier League. And they're achieving and they're going far. And 
went for his third against a team like Arsenal with a Olivier Giroud that finally found back of the net on a regular consistent basis. A team with Ozil and Sanchez and a team that is close to again having the Arsenal Cup of fourth place. The outlier is Leicester City winning in it. And yeah, it's a fluke win in a way that a lot of things had to happen in 2016 for Leicester City to do all that. But the fact that they were there almost from the beginning and they found a way to stay there day in, day out, is probably going to be... Well, it's not going to be. It is historical. And Claudio Ranieri, I really hope that you get a great job and a good contract. Because then... <laughs> Sorry about that. Damn, Claudio, you deserve it. Oh, what a great story. Yeah, that's a great story. Let's take a quick break, come back, and talk about Formula One. To the Sports Podcasting Network. You're a big soccer fan? SPN is the place to be. USL Radio, NASL Nightcap, Two Solitude Soccer Podcast, Off the Woodworks, Ours is the Fury, 2S Extra, the rest of the story. SPN is the place to be. To be. Can you listen to SPN Radio? I am Kevin Laramie. This is Open Lines After Dark. We had earlier on this show the MLS Post Game Show version. You can go to the Sports Podcasting Network.com to get all the archived show of SPN Radio and to get your favorite soccer podcast, like you just listened to the bumper, your favorite. Sports shows, basketball with hardwood radio, and all the plethora of great shows that we produce here at SBN. And I wanted to talk about Formula One because Formula One is, well, in its biggest season ever, a 21 season. It's the biggest in its history. And we have a Nico Rosberg dominating, and he got the poll today again. It's been, what, the 40th time since the beginning of 2014 that the Mercedes has been on pole. Uh, You know, Lewis Hamilton is probably the story coming out of this qualifying. We don't know yet if they're going to have to change his motor, but they have to change gearbox. It's going to start like 10. Uh, Well, he couldn't get in Q3 and Q4 because... Uh, no Q3, but they were close, but no Q3 for Hamilton because of a uh, gearbox problem and maybe an engine. So they might have to change his engine for a second Grand Prix in a row. So for Hamilton, that would be quite quite a bad uh, result because in Sochi, it's not necessarily like in China and well, in uh, Shanghai. He's not going to be able to overtake and Get. Like it was a crazy race two weeks ago. Let's not let's face it. So I don't think it's going to be easy for him to go close or to finish seventh when he started last. You know. So in this Sochi Grand Prix, in the weird city of Sochi in Russia, you know, in the the, uh, the Balnear city of uh, of Russia, what I do believe that's going to be interesting tomorrow is Nico Rosberg is first, but Valtteri Bottas second, because Vettel was second, but he had a five-slot penalty. So if I'm not mistaken, Vettel is starting seventh tomorrow morning. So that in itself is intriguing because a, a Williams in the second spot of the grid in the start 
It's going to be quite fascinating. Because, let's see. Let's go here to the top ten. Tomorrow morning, uh, we're talking about the Russia Grand Prix in Sochi, where the Winter Olympics were held two years ago. Nico Rosberg, Valtteri Bottas, like we're saying with Melia Williams, uh, starting second. Kimi Raikkonen with Ferrari, third. Kimi Raikkonen, which was unlucky last week. We've talked about how, well, you know, on F1, F1, by the way, at the F1 show of the Sports Podcast Network, hosted by Mark Daly of From the Backline. If you're a soccer fan, From the Backline, hosted by Mark Daly and Oregon Mendoza, and uh, Mark Daly as well, hosted, host. Scuderia F1, the podcast at Formula One, and yours truly as well. You can listen to both of us talk on this show. But Kimi Raikkonen was unlucky in the last Grand Prix, especially in the first lap when, according to Vettel, it was Kvyat, Danny Kvyat from a Red Bull that just came in, destroyed his chance to get into the corner. He had to, to veer to the left, and he actually hit. Raikkonen, Raikkonen went into the pit and came back and lost a lot of time and a lot of position. Well, upon further review, I've uh, now analyzed it a little bit more with my DVR and a couple of slow speed, fast speed type of situation. And, you know, Kimi Raikkonen is kind of not the right spot in the damn turn. He's still in. He doesn't make a choice. He doesn't commit to one the inside or the outside, he's in the wrong apex, he's in the wrong type of angle coming in and out of that turn. That would explain the reaction of Vettel in that turn if you're looking at actually Raikkonen's position when he came. I remind you that you can give us a call at any time here on Open Lines After Dark. The phone number is 99477-3874 and the lines are open. And the subjects are open as well. You know, I've been meaning to talk about the Giro d'Italia as well. The Giro d'Italia starts in six days, starts next Sunday. And it is quite possibly my second favorite, if not my favorite, cycling race of the year. Just to finish on the F1 before we move to cycling tomorrow, and, uh, I do believe that's going to be quite... A normal race, quite a very boring race. After the great beginning of the season we've seen in Formula 1, I'm kind of expecting a dull race of just a procession of a Mercedes on top. But you never know. This season is quite something. Yeah, Nico Rosberg is still on top, but all the other positions are interesting. So tomorrow uh, we'll watch this race and have a lot more to talk about about this race on Scuderia F1 pod later this week on the Sports Podcasting Network. But to go back to my original thought on the Giro d'Italia, the first Grand Tour of the cycling season in the World Tour. So it starts in six days in Italy, and it's one of my favorite races for the reason that, look, it's like the Tour de France. It's a three-week race. It is very hard. It's 21 days of races with mountains, with Time trials with sprints with very hard mountain climbing. Thing is, in early May in Italy, usually it starts like May 1st, but because of the last few years, they had to stop and change stage on top of high mountains due to snow and snowfalls. 
and in a El Nino year, which could bring more snowfall on top of those mountains at this time period as well, I think it's fair to say that because of the calendar and the uh, leap year as well, this is the reason why it starts almost a week later in the year than it would normally. Normally, it starts close to the May 1st, the first Sunday of May, or the last Sunday of April. This year, it takes place the second Sunday of May because the first, May 1st becomes a, it's a, it's a Sunday. So next Sunday, that you know the title starts. Uh, right now, the biggest favorite are... Yeah, Uran might be a favorite with Cannondale because... He's been uh, the Dauphin a couple times, finished twice, twice, finished second twice. So to have him play for the Malerosa, have him trying to go for the pink jersey, is really what's driving him. And that's his objective of 2016. With his new team, surrounded by a team of climbers that not the best climbers, but devoted and might be efficient enough to help him in the high mountains. Formerly of Cannondale, now with Trek Sigafredo, winner of the Giro d'Italia three years ago. Canadian rider Heshadal. will be riding the Giro d'Italia for his new team, Trek Sigafredo as well as Nivolo. Those are the two highlights of Trek Segafredo. And Fabian Cancellara, uh, in his last season on the World Tour, he will ride the Giulio d'Italia for the first time since 2009. And that in itself is quite interesting. Because of the, the presence of time trial in 2016 at the Giulio d'Italia, it's going to leave a lot of space for maybe Cancellara to go get that pink jersey one last time. And I think that's the goal. I think that's why he's going to Italy, and he's going to the Giro, is to get that pink jersey for one last time. And I think his goal in 2016 for his last season in the Pro Peloton for Fabian Cancellara, the Swiss Superman way before Cesaro, there was Fabian Cancellara. So, so the, Swiss, the Swiss Spartacus, which is nickname, it's always written somewhere on his bike, I think the goal he has in 2016 is quite easily... Very ambitious, you're going to say yes. But it's to make a statement. It's to make a stamp in history. I know he's not going to win the Giro. But he can win one stage. He can win one of those, uh, just go off like he just did a couple of days ago to wear a stage of the Tour of Romandie. Go on in the breakaway. Go off in a single attack, solo, solo to victory, and you win. He does that one day early in the Giro. And it might be pink jersey worthy. And his goal is to get one of those 21 big jerseys that are awarded during the Giro. One of those. And when he gets to the Tour de France, because I have a feeling he's going to be in the roster of the Tour de France for his final goodbye of the Pro Peloton, but I don't think it's final goodbye. He's going to continue riding because I do feel that his goal is to get a jersey off every either Grand Tour, either a pink, a yellow, and a rainbow jersey, which will be the World Championship, or a pink, a yellow, and a red jersey. Red jersey being the Vuelta España, the last Grand Tour. There's only three the last Grand Tour of the season, that could be a possibility too. That's going to be very interesting looking into the cycling season further down the road. We'll keep an eye to see if it's possible if he gets a yellow jersey in, somewhere in France and if he gets a red jersey somewhere in Spain further down the road. But I do believe he's going to Italy to, to get a pink jersey. He might not even make it further. He might decide to, 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 to quit or call it quits before. He has announced that 2016 will be his last season. So, Fabian Cancellara 
who won great races in the history of cycling and has been one of the first ones to be, uh, well, it's going back uh, what, almost six years ago now. But if you look at in 2010, when he had those great classic and Ardennes uh, classic wins, you know, a lot of people were, oh, you might have a motor in his bike. And back then it was like utopic. It was like a, a weird notion and a weird, like, a myth. Thing is, I don't want to put Fabien Cacharra's name there. It's just, the only reason why his name is linked to 2010 and that story and that, like, so, uh, like it was a suspicion, you would say, is because he made, he made some weird handlebar moves. And people were wondering, oh, does he have a hidden motor and has a button somewhere that he can start the motor and small engine can hit it into the frame of his bike and help him climb? And it was like crazy ideas. It was like conspiracy theory talk. It was like alien talking. We're talking about alien, you know. There was a type of vibe that it got in 2010 when it was talked about in Bicycle Magazine and other forums of, oh, does he have an engine in his bike? You know, that's interesting. But no. What's interesting to me is in 2016, by the BBC and other sources, they have made uh, independent investigation, anonymous ones, where their goal is not to pinpoint who did it, but with cameras that are infrared cameras that would basically measure the temperature inside the frame while the peloton is passing in front of you. They're filming it, and with digital zoom in, zoom out, you can actually see the temperature inside if it's you know the type of camera we're talking about heat cameras so heat seeking cameras so the hotter it is in temperature real life the more orange and red and white it would be on the screen the cold it is the more blue and black it is so that being said in that video by the BBC and there's the article that you can go and check out I'm sure you just Google BBC and uh, bike and cycling and engine you'll find the article and the videos allegedly there was seven in that instance that had like a motor inside their bike because there was high temperature could be other reason there could be other factors for that but apparently that's the evidence that they have found and there are ways now that they're actually developing uh, ways to scan the whole freaking peloton before each race, just make sure nobody has motor. And I think it's, yeah, it's the integrity of the sports in a way that you want to keep. <laughs> it's kind of crazy in a sport that you, it's like somebody that would have been wearing a, you know, it's hard to explain and do draw a parallel, but a sport like cycling where you're the motor of the vehicle, if you had an actual motor to the equation, you can actually dominate. It's technical doping. And to make sure that technical doping, mechanical doping, doesn't become prevalent, doesn't become something that is a widespread in cycling or other sports that could relate, I don't know whether or, but just the idea of it needs to be nicked in the bud. And I think that's, oh, you got to scan the peloton and ban for life or ban for seven, ten years, whatever. You have to make it a deterrent earlier on, early on in the history of this. If it's proven to be 100% true, and if there's evidence and the guilty have been found guilty, well, you got to bat him for life and make it a deterrent off the top, off the, off the start, you know, right now. So it's going to knit it in the bud. Nobody's going to, the culture of technical doping is not going to grow and get its tentacles everywhere like the culture of actual drug doping did in the 90s. Well, in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, let's not lie to each other. The drug 
culture in cycling has actually been there since the 1900s. Just read on your history of the Tour de France, people. You'll see that doping in the world of cycling and in the world of sports, for that matter, is nothing new and is nothing recent. So let's not hide our face in the sands and think that, oh, it's just doping now. It's all new. It's just since, it's just since Carl Lewis and it's just since uh, Ben Johnson, you know. Before that, it wasn't, yeah, no, you're wrong. Started when man started. That's when the doping aspect or doping theory or instinct or, or the, the, the strategy of using anything necessary, a loophole, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Doping should not just be considered a word for just drug doping. We've talked about technical doping. We've talked about nutrition doping. That's illegal, yeah. But if you have access to a better nutrition than somebody else, you kind of marginal gains here and there are marginal gains, but are gains after all. And they're kind of a doping in a way that is legal, that is not frowned upon, and that is totally fine by me and everybody else. And we've talked about this subject many times on the Five Rings podcast. But yeah, you know, so nick the technical doping idea in the bud. Scan every single Peloton race. Scan the whole Peloton. You know if they have motors or not. Check the damn bikes. There's ways to do it. Yeah, it's going to maybe be a pain in the ass, but at least you're going to kill that idea to start with. And it's a lot less cost, well, a lot less costly. Just hire one guy to check every bike before there's, yeah, there's 200 something bike. Hire a couple guys, check every bike before the race on the morning, on, on race day. It's not like you have to hire somebody to go check at 6 a.m. Everybody do like, like a doping, like a doping, like the water would do, you know? No. It's a lot easier to to kill that technical doping if they have to do it. We're uh, coming to the end of Open Lines After Dark for tonight. Last call for a caller, 929-477-3874. I remind you, our flagship show on SPN Radio here, we're doing a couple of pilot and a cold run over the last week. So those were Open Lines and MLS post-game show. But this Wednesday, 3.30 p.m., 12.30 Pacific. In the afternoon, in you're on the East Coast. At lunch, if you're on the West Coast, 12.30 Soccer Today for 90 minutes. Soccer Today, hosted by yours truly and Dwayne Rollins. We'll be taking your calls. We'll be talking about soccer, talking about Leicester, talking about Manchester, talking about soccer, football, call it whatever you like. The new and, well, new, yes, improved, probably, but it's going to be your new soccer forum, your new soccer fun place. And for this, we're asking for your help. We're asking for your cooperation. We're asking for you to help us with this show. Probably every Wednesday. The Wednesday is the day that we have marked for the first run of this show. There's other plans and other ideas for Soccer Today going further down this summer. For now, it's a weekly show, live call-in show. Wednesday, 3.30 p.m. is the slot that is tentatively cemented in right now. This Wednesday, 3.30 p.m. on SPN Radio, the debut edition of Soccer Today. Hope you like SPN Radio for tonight on our MLS postgame show, followed by the open lines after dark. If you go to the sportspodcastnetwork.com, the website, you can find all the archived version of the 
live radio shows that we do here on SPN Radio. You can find all the podcasts that we produce and host uh, on the Sports Podcasting Network. We're talking about video games podcasts, uh, sports is in the game. We're talking about Kevin Talk Cycling. Yeah, that's me. We're talking about uh, Hard Group Radio, Gridiron Radio. We're talking about Five Rings Podcast, Two Solitudes, Two S Extra. Yeah, we have a lot of shows, and we invite you to listen to it all. And until then, I'm Kevin Lanley. Have a great sport. You were listening to SPN, the Sports Podcasting Network. Visit us, sportspodcastingnetwork.com.